Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about what to do if your shin splints won't go away. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. If you're a runner, the chances are good at some point in your running career, you had an aching, throbbing sensation in the front of your shins. And chances are also good if you talk to your running buddies, they would quickly explain to you that you have a case of shin splints. Shin splints may be common, but they can also be confusing. Many years ago, when I was in my foot and ankle surgery residency training, I was on an orthopedic surgery rotation. Specifically, I was working with a foot and ankle orthopedic surgeon. And not only was he a highly qualified foot and ankle surgeon, he was also a runner. And while I was on that rotation, I was preparing a lecture for the surgical department. And the lecture I was going to give was on common running injuries. In preparation for that talk, I read virtually everything I could find on running injuries. I looked up and researched all of the studies published in medical journals on running injuries. One thing became quickly apparent. Many physicians seemed to disagree about the exact cause of shin splints. In fact, many of them even argued about the name. So one day in clinic, I actually asked this orthopedic surgeon runner a question. I said, hey, Dr. J, what exactly is shin splints? He looked at me, sighed deeply, and said, Chris, shin splints are something you send to someone else because you cannot operate on them. Now, you have to remember, this guy was also a marathon runner. And, by the way, he is one of the best surgeons I've ever worked with. If you happen to be in Utah and you need knee surgery, I wouldn't hesitate to let this guy operate on you. And again, he is also a runner. But his answer simply highlights the fact there is so much confusion around shin splints. And in this episode, we're going to try to answer some of those questions so you can know what to do if you get a case of shin splints that doesn't seem to go away. Now, as I've said in many other episodes, you have to know what you're treating before you can treat it correctly. If your doctor has misdiagnosed your condition or if you have misdiagnosed yourself, you may be using the right treatment on the wrong problem. Of course, if you do that, it's unlikely you will improve. So the very first step is to figure out what's causing your shin splints. There are three main conditions affecting runners which can be labeled shin splints, and your first task is to determine which is causing pain when you run. Those three conditions are anterior shin splints, medial tibial stress syndrome, and tibial stress fracture. There is a fourth, far less common condition called exertional compartment syndrome. We'll talk about that one later. But first, let's discuss the three most likely to affect you as a runner. So first, we're going to talk about anterior shin splints. When doctors say you have anterior shin splints, it basically means that you have pain in the front of your leg. What that really means is that the tibialis anterior muscle is inflamed or overworked. Anterior is the medical term for front. The medical term for shin is tibia. There's a large muscle on the front of your leg just to the outside or lateral to the sharp edge of the tibia bone, and that muscle is called the tibialis anterior because it is on the front or anterior aspect of your tibia. Now, the main function of the tibialis anterior muscle is to pull your foot upward away from the ground. It helps you pull your toes toward your nose, and the medical term for that movement is dorsiflexion. The tibialis anterior muscle is the primary dorsiflexure of your foot. You have to dorsiflex your foot every time your foot swings underneath you during the swing phase of gait. When you run, if you don't dorsiflex your foot, you'll trip over your toes and fall flat on your face. Now, if you run on flat ground, you need somewhere between 5 and 10 degrees of dorsiflexion to avoid tripping over your toes. 
toes. If you run uphill, you have to dorsiflex your foot more so you don't trip over your toes. For example, let's just say you need 10 degrees of dorsiflexion when you run on flat ground. If you run up a 10 degree slope when doing hill repeats, you need 20 degrees of dorsiflexion to avoid tripping over your toes. Anterior shin splints are basically caused by overuse of the tibialis anterior muscle. In the overwhelming majority of cases, that overuse is simply from running on hilly courses, doing hill repeats, or running stairs. Anterior shin splints are fairly easy to diagnose. If your story seems to fit with a case of anterior shin splints, meaning you've been recently doing lots of hill work, running stairs, or doing hill repeats, then it seems probable you could have excess soreness in the tibialis anterior muscle. If the doctor hears a story consistent with developing anterior shin splints, the doctor will then simply palpate or push on the tibialis anterior muscle belly at the front of your leg to see if it is tender. The tibialis anterior muscle is easy to find. If you feel the front of your leg, you will feel the hard, flat tibia bone on the inside of the front of your leg. If you push your fingers deeply into that bone as you move forward toward the very front of the shin, you will notice there is a sharp edge to the bone in the middle of your leg. If you start in the middle of your leg and you find that sharp edge and then you push laterally toward the outside of the front of the leg, where the bone starts to drop away, you will feel the tibialis anterior muscle belly. The muscle goes from the middle of the leg upward toward your knee. It is also easy to confirm whether or not your fingers are on the correct muscle. All you have to do is move your foot up and down so your toes are moving up away from the floor and you will feel the tibialis anterior muscle belly flex and tighten up as you move your foot up and down away from the floor. If you have anterior shin splints, it will be tender when you palpate and push your fingers into or otherwise massage the tibialis anterior muscle. If it's not tender when you palpate the tibialis anterior muscle belly, it is unlikely that you have anterior shin splints. Now the second condition is the most common one, and this is medial tibial stress syndrome. And this is sort of classic shin splints. Medial tibial stress syndrome is likely the most common cause of shin splints that don't get better it can be painful. It can also be incredibly annoying. Medial tibial stress syndrome can also really interfere with your training simply because it aches and throbs when you're running. Medial is the medical term for inside, and technically, actually, medial means toward the midline of the body. It is the opposite of lateral. Lateral means away from the midline of the body. Medial tibial stress syndrome is also relatively easy to diagnose. If your doctor hears your story and you express that you have aching, throbbing pain when you run, particularly if it seems to get worse as you increase your running volume, the first thought is likely medial tibial stress syndrome. Hearing that story, your doctor will then simply palpate by pushing her fingers along the medial edge of the central or middle one-third of your tibia or shin bone. The only difference in the starting location where your doctor pushes on the leg is that the anterior shin splint you work your way forward until your fingers drop off the front of that sharp leading edge of the tibia. With medial tibial stress syndrome, instead of moving your fingers forward, you start with the flat portion of the shin bone and move your fingers toward the back, posteriorly toward the calf muscle. You then press your fingers into the soft tissue where your fingers drop away from the back of the tibia bone. If there is pain and tenderness when you push your fingers into the soft tissue at the posterior aspect of the middle one-third of the tibia, you get a diagnosis of medial tibial stress syndrome. The third thing is a tibial stress fracture. The tibial stress fracture is less common, but it certainly does happen. It is much more likely to happen to a new runner who has just begun running and signed up for a marathon training program. It is also common in short course runners who transition to marathons or ultra marathons. The increase in distance can be compounded by running most of those miles on hard surfaces such as concrete or asphalt. The tibial stress fracture is, understandably, a fearsome diagnosis. 
One of my friends was actually telling me a story of his buddy who developed a medial tibial stress fracture while training for his first marathon. But like most endurance athletes, he had a high pain threshold. He actually thought he had run-of-the-mill shin splints, but he was tough, so he kept up his training. Not surprisingly, it became more and more painful over time. Yet, he was determined to run the marathon. Now, supposedly, there's a video clip of this guy running down the finish chute, and about 100 feet from the finish line, his tibia actually buckles and folds as it snaps in half. So, in that case, he made it through most of the marathon, but his tibial stress fracture actually turned into a true pathologic fracture or a broken leg just before he got his t-shirt and medal. These sort of stories are the ones that strike fear in the runners who develop cases of shin splints. No runner wants to break a leg. No runner wants to train for months and then have to abandon their goal race within days or weeks of the finish line. But if you ignore a tibial stress fracture, that is precisely what may happen. It would typically become worse and more and more painful. And if you ignore that pain and all the warning signs, you do so at your peril. Making the diagnosis of a tibial stress fracture typically involves confirming a story that fits with tibial stress fractures. If you tell your doctor that you've been increasing your mileage considerably and you started having aching, throbbing pain in the shin, your doctor may become suspicious. If your doctor is suspicious you have a tibial stress fracture, she will push on the tibia bone. If you have pinpoint tenderness where you push on the tibia bone and you don't have any tenderness when you press on the soft tissues, it's much more likely that you've developed a tibial stress fracture. If you've been doing the majority of your running on asphalt or concrete, your doctor may be more suspicious of a tibial stress fracture. One day I got a call from a runner who had been training in Mississippi. He had taken up a marathon training program. He also had just started running. Now a marathon is an ambitious goal for anyone, but for somebody who has not been training, it is an enormous goal. Taking up a marathon training program straight off the couch is ambitious and stressful. Your body has to undergo a lot of changes to make it to the starting line. Part of the problem with that approach is your muscle strength increases are fairly rapid. You get stronger quickly. Your aerobic fitness also begins to develop fairly quickly. Both of those things develop much faster than bone density. And we know that bone density will improve with applied force. We know if you lift weights or run or do any type of impact activity, your bones will become stronger over time. But the bones just don't get strong as fast as your muscles. It takes time. So... If you're a brand new runner and you start training for a marathon, your bones may not be able to take the abuse. In the case of this guy, I actually guessed which leg it was, and I guessed correctly. He exclaimed, how did you know that? I said, well, because I'm a genius. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not really a genius. I'm just clairvoyant. And then I explained, look, if you're running in Mississippi, I'm assuming that you're running in the road, and I'm guessing you were told you should always run facing traffic so you don't get hit by a car. When you run on the road, let's say facing traffic, you're always running on a slope because the road is sloped to allow rainwater to run off of the street and toward the gutter. As you run toward the traffic, your left foot is downhill. Your right foot is uphill relative to your left foot. Your right foot has to pronate to accommodate for the shorter distance between your hip and the ground. Your left foot has to supinate and reach for the ground because you're falling further toward the ground on that side. Your pronated foot is more flexible and more likely to develop plantar fasciitis, posterior tibial tendonitis, and medial tibial stress syndrome. Your supinated foot, though, is it's stiffer as it reaches for the ground, and the stiffer foot is less capable of absorbing impact and is more likely to develop a tibial stress fracture. The point here is that your story matters, and it's really important you try to remember exactly what you have done in training. 
how far you've been running, and what sort of surfaces you've been running on. You have to be able to explain all of this to your doctor to make sure you get a correct diagnosis the first time. So the first thing is to make sure you get the correct diagnosis and you figure out what's wrong with you and what's causing the pain. The second thing is to reduce the inflammation. This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. What you'll get from Dr. Segler in my experience is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You know, I have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. The second thing is to reduce the inflammation. One common denominator of all three conditions is inflammation. All three conditions could be thrown into the broad category of some types of shin splints. Anterior shin splints involve inflammation of the tibialis anterior muscle. Medial tibial stress syndrome involves inflammation of the tibialis posterior muscle, soleus muscle, or soft tissue structures at the medial or posterior aspect of the tibia or shin bone. A tibial stress fracture involves inflammation within the tibia bone itself. So regardless of which of these three conditions is affecting you, the first step is to reduce the inflammation. One way to reduce inflammation is to apply ice. There are a couple of things you should know about icing for shin splints. The first thing is that you can do it wrong. I can attest to this because I've done it incorrectly myself. My mistake may go down as one of the dumbest things a runner has ever done. I was training for the Salt Lake City Marathon, and I had really been working hard in training, and I was determined to get a new PR but I developed shin splints. And when I say shin splints, what I actually had was medial tibial stress syndrome. Like most runners, I figured I could just ignore the pain. But even after I tapered for the race, I still had a lot of pain in the final days leading up to the marathon. So I had the bright idea of icing the heck out of my shin the night before the race. I thought that if I reduced the inflammation enough, it would get it back under control and I'd make it through the race and it wouldn't affect my time. So what I did was I actually took one of those blue chemical ice packs. And whether you know it or not, those ice packs actually get colder than ice. A lot colder than ice. They're not water. When they freeze, they can actually get significantly colder than ice cubes. So I took this blue ice pack that was the perfect size to cover the central one-third of my tibia or shin bone. I put it right on the sore spot and wrapped an ace wrap around my leg to hold it in place. Within about a minute, it became uncomfortable. And by two minutes, I felt like there was a burning sensation on my leg where the ice pack was. I mean, it was really painful. 
But being strong as an ox and half as smart, I decided I could take it. Within about five minutes, it no longer hurt. I left the ice pack on for 15 minutes. When I unwrapped the ice pack and took the blue ice pack off, I was horrified to see that the skin underneath of the blue ice pack was white and hard as a rock. I actually froze the skin. This was a case of self-inflicted frostbite. So the next morning when I got ready to run the marathon, I actually had frostbite blisters on the front of my shin. This is not the best way to pursue a PR. So do not, under any circumstances, use one of those chemical ice packs when attempting to ice your leg. Ice is much safer. The best way to apply ice to the skin is to use an old, thin, terry cloth washcloth. Soak it in cold water, wring out the excess moisture, and then wrap the washcloth around a fistful of crushed ice. Ice water soaking through a terry cloth washcloth is the best way to apply ice. Submerging your foot completely in ice water is even more effective, but it is inconvenient. If you have medial tibial stress syndrome, you have to get the central one-third of your leg submerged. If you have anterior shin splints, you have to submerge your leg almost all the way up to the knee in order to completely cover the tibialis anterior muscle. So if you have medial tibial stress syndrome, that means your leg has to be two-thirds of the way submerged. And if you have anterior shin splints, you basically have to have it submerged all the way up to the knee. You can't do that with a bucket, but there is a way to do it. As an experiment one time, I purchased a pair of size 15 knee-high rubber boots. We're talking about the kind of rubber boots you see fishermen wearing or the guys who work in fish markets or shuck oysters. Now, you have to get them big enough to accommodate not only your foot, but also the ice water mixture. So what I did was I took the rubber boots out onto the patio, I dumped a tray of ice cubes into the rubber boots, and then I filled them about halfway with water. As soon as I stepped into them, I was knee-deep in ice water. Well, this is extremely uncomfortable, albeit a very effective way to apply ice when you have shin splints. If you have a tibial stress fracture, it is a much more effective way of reducing the inflammation in the bone. Applying ice to the surface of the skin just doesn't penetrate all the way to the bone. Another way to reduce inflammation is to take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or naproxen. For some reason, most runners who develop a condition that involves chronic inflammation seem to want to take a drug that will reduce inflammation. And as the name applies, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs should be the perfect pill. Now, ibuprofen and naproxen, which are Motrin and Aleve, those are the most commonly consumed non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. In fact, I remember recently reading an article that said that ibuprofen was the most commonly consumed over-the-counter medication, period. But just because people take them all the time doesn't mean it's a good idea. I would caution you against taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs when you have shin splints. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can slow down healing. Studies have shown non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can dramatically slow healing of ligament or tendon-to-bone interfaces. If you have medial tibial stress syndrome and you have any damage or injury to the soft tissue structures which attach to the tibia bone, like the tibialis posterior muscle or the soleus muscle, it may take longer to heal. If you have a tibial stress fracture and you take non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, you may have enough pain reduction that you can continue training. And you may train yourself right into some very serious trouble. The most effective way to reduce inflammation is to take corticosteroid drugs like prednisone. However, taking prednisone is a horrible idea if you have any of these conditions. Corticosteroids like prednisone can reduce inflammation, but they can also cause weakness in structures made of collagen. If you have a tibial stress fracture, collagen is one of the primary stabilizers and components of the initial healing of the stress fracture itself. Taking corticosteroids will halt the healing process. 
If you have damage to the soft tissue, such as when you have medial tibial stress syndrome, your problem could become considerably worse if you take prednisone. And we're not even going to talk about all the risks to your endocrine system or your Achilles tendon when you are a runner taking prednisone. So let's just say it's a terrible idea. Don't do it. And with all of these conditions, you'll start to feel better quickly once you reduce the inflammation. Then you need to decrease the stress causing the shin splints. If you really want a problem to resolve, you really want your shin splints to go away permanently, you need to figure out what is causing the stress that led to the problem in the first place. I can also tell you that from personal experience, this step is the most important one. I started running when I was a kid. I ran 5Ks and 10Ks pretty much every Saturday morning that I could get my dad to drive me to one. If it was within driving distance, I wanted to run it, and I had shin splints. I ran in a hilly area, but I also really had no coaching whatsoever. I had shin splints then, I had shin splints when I ran cross country in high school, and I also had shin splints when I ran as an adult. Pretty much any time I would do hill repeats, run any significantly hilly courses, or add lots of running stairs, I would get shin splints. This went on for decades. In the 1970s, there was a television show called That's Incredible. I can still clearly remember this one episode where they highlighted a new space-aged material called sorbothane. Sorbothane was a kind of rubber developed to absorb shock. Now, the episode highlighted several runners who had really bad shin splints, and I can still remember watching the video clip of a runner in slow motion with the pounding vibrations being sent through the legs before and after running on sorbothane. At that point, I had shin splints for so long, my dad actually drove me to Atlanta, which is the only place he was able to find the new sorbethane inserts. They didn't help. Then the Nike Air Pegasus running shoe came out. It was also supposed to be some sort of breakthrough in shock absorption. My dad bought me a pair. They didn't help. So I ran for another 20 years or so with shin splints off and on. Then, when Newton running shoes came out, I was asked to write a review for the Newton Gravity Trainer. Newton running shoes force you to develop a forefoot or midfoot strike. Now, I followed the specific recommendations that came with the running shoes. Then, I only used the Newton running shoes when I was doing mile repeats on the track. All I would do is attempt to stay on pace, land on my forefoot or midfoot, maintain a relatively upright posture, and lean forward slightly at the ankles and my shin splints went away. Interestingly, not only did my shin splints go away, but my next marathon was about 20 minutes faster than my previous personal best. So clearly for me, developing more of a forefoot striking pattern when I was running has been less stressful, cured my shin splints, and made me significantly faster. In my case, landing as a heel striker when I was running was the primary cause of my shin splints. But just because that was the cause of my shin splints, obviously it may not be the same for you. Every runner is different. Every running injury has a unique set of causes. It's crucial you determine the exact cause of your shin splints if you really want to get better. Once you know the real problem, you can get on the path to getting better. If you developed anterior shin splints simply from doing too many hill repeats or running on hills all the time, just back off and run on flat ground for a while. That doesn't mean you have to quit running hills altogether, but it's important to get the shin splints under control first. Get the pain to go away and then rebuild the strength of your tibialis anterior muscle with a gradual dose of hills. If you have medial tibial stress syndrome, you definitely need to evaluate your running shoes and your running form. Go to your local running shoe store and see if you can get a run form analysis and recommendations on the most appropriate running shoes for you with your particular running form. You can also get help from an expert online. You can get an online running form analysis. Just shoot some of your running form from several different angles and then get an expert to do an online consultation and run form analysis.
But back to that original question about what to do if you get shin splints that simply won't get better. One question I often get is, should I get an x-ray or an MRI when I have shin splints? The short answer is yes. Now, an x-ray will show you a fracture, but only a significant fracture, so don't expect to see much when you have shin splints. Now, if you're running down the finish chute and your leg breaks in half, it will certainly show up on an x-ray. But if you have anterior shin splints, medial tibial stress syndrome, or even one of those very early cases or mild cases of a tibial stress fracture, nothing interesting is going to show up on the x-ray. An MRI, however, can be extremely useful in making the correct diagnosis. Let's say you're worried you have a tibial stress fracture. If you live in California, Texas, or anywhere overseas, I can order the MRI for you. I can then review your MRI, and then we can just discuss it over the phone during a remote consultation or even a Skype consultation. Now, I do these sort of virtual doctor visits for runners all the time. And not only is that more convenient, faster, and easier, it's often a whole lot cheaper than going to a normal doctor's office. MRI is extremely effective at differentiating inflammation and hence trouble between bone and soft tissue. If you get an MRI and you have a tibial stress fracture, you will see a great deal of inflammation within the tibia bone itself. But don't expect to see a crack in the bone. Most cases of tibial stress fractures just have what doctors call a signal change or evidence of inflammation within the bone. There's usually no crack on the MRI. Now, the inside of the tibia bone is mostly bone marrow, which is mostly fat, which is mostly oil. When you get inflammation inside the bone, most of that inflammation or inflammatory fluid is mostly water. So it changes the color on the inside of the bone relative to the other bone. And that change on the image is suggestive of a tibial stress fracture. If you have medial tibial stress syndrome, you'll have inflammation in the soft tissue where the tibialis posterior muscle, soleus muscle, or other soft tissue structures attach to the back of the tibia bone right in the middle of your leg. If you have anterior shin splints, you'll have inflammation within the tibialis anterior muscle belly itself. Although most doctors will just recommend a period of rest when you have shin splints, particularly if they're not really sure which form of shin splints you have, I am against this approach. Instead of parking you on the couch, I would recommend an MRI to help differentiate the true cause of your shin splint so we can figure out what it will take to get you better as quickly as possible. And of course, we don't want to watch you lose all of your running specific fitness. An MRI can help. Now, the last thing to discuss is a relatively rare condition known as exertional compartment syndrome. Without getting into the physiology of it all, all you really need to understand is that the pain is in the same area as medial tibial stress syndrome. However, with exertional compartment syndrome, you're actually having an increase in the pressure within that anatomic compartment and it causes tissue damage. The short story goes like this. The arteries, which are thick and muscular and stiff, pump the blood into your legs. The veins, which are thin and flexible, drain the blood. The arteries don't compress or get pinched because they're thick and muscular. You can think of the arteries as being structurally similar to a garden hose, but the veins are different. The veins are thin and easily flattened out. If the pressure goes up in an anatomic compartment, the pressure within that compartment can actually flatten out the vein, pinch it off, and stop the blood flow out of the leg. Because the veins actually drain the blood, if you pinch off the blood flow through the veins, the blood keeps getting pumped through the arteries and the pressure skyrockets. When the pressure gets too high within any anatomic compartment, the tissue within that compartment can start to die because it gets starved for oxygen. We call that compartment syndrome. 
Exertional compartment syndrome is the circumstance in which you run and increase the blood flow through a compartment in your leg to the point at which you get pooling of blood within the compartment with an increase in pressures that can damage the tissues. Now, a lot of people write about exertional compartment syndrome in runners because it's a scary thing. You know, you have to have surgery to fix it. But if you don't hear anything else from this episode, you need to understand that exertional compartment syndrome is extremely rare. One time I was at a medical conference and I heard an orthopedic surgeon who frankly seemed like a braggart. He boasted that he saw more than 250 patients per week. He also had a very full surgical schedule. And all that, of course, means that he spends very little time with every single patient in clinic. When asked about exertional compartment syndrome, he had a very simple routine. He claimed that exertional compartment syndrome was relatively common. He seemed to believe that if a runner had shin splints and wasn't getting better, he suspected they probably had exertional compartment syndrome. And of course, they might benefit from an expensive operation. So, if he suspected a runner had exertional compartment syndrome, he would simply have them come to his office with their running shoes and running shorts. He would examine the patient and then have them run up and down flights of stairs in his office building. As soon as the runner came back into the treatment room out of breath and covered in sweat, he would stick a needle into the deep posterior compartment of the leg. He would measure the intercompartmental pressure. If the pressure was high, he diagnosed them with exertional compartment syndrome. He would then schedule the runner for a fasciotomy. A fasciotomy is a surgical procedure where we cut the leg open, cut the fascia that separates the compartments within the leg, and then just sew up the skin. This makes it impossible for the pressure to increase in that compartment. If you're a runner and you have a fasciotomy, you may feel weaker forever. You also have a big ugly scar in the front of your leg. So a word of caution with exertional compartment syndrome. Beware the diagnosis. Always get a second opinion before you allow anyone to operate on you if you're a runner who's been diagnosed with exertional compartment syndrome. And if you have any form of shin splints and you cannot seem to get better, you should get a second opinion from someone who specializes in running injuries. No matter what the problem is, there's always a solution. You just have to make sure you find the right solution for you. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.